This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Up in the morning to the Okinawa sun. We're going to run, run, run till the run-in's done. All right, now that I got your attention, I want to go ahead and talk about Blue Star Families. We recently had the CEO, Kathy, on the podcast, and they reached out to help get your help in understanding where they put their energy and focus going forward in the next calendar year. This is the time of the year where they always put out their annual survey. This annual survey determines all their business decisions on where they invest more, maybe where they pull back to understand what's working, what's not within the military community. Blue Star Families is focused on creating community within those military bases to make sure that you have the connections that you need to get through when times are hard, and then, but then also to enjoy when times are great because having a community is not just about when you need them, it's about doing life together. And I am proud to sponsor and support Blue Star Families with this mission to help get this information and the resources where we need to go to help bring dads home, to help moms out there, the military spouse, the hidden hero within the military, to help give them the support and resources that they need to keep the family together. To take this survey, head on over to militaryveterandad.com forward slash blue star survey. Again, militaryveterandad.com forward slash blue star survey. That'll take you right to the survey. There'll also be a link down in the show notes for taking the survey as well. Thank you for supporting Blue Star families and helping them get the resources where they need to go. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Episode 120. This is Military Veteran Dad. I am your host, Ben Colloy, and this is your official start to the week. I hope that this episode and this conversation, like all the conversations on Monday, help you give a sense of hope, encouragement, and excitement for what is possible in this new week. Every day that the sun rises gives us a new opportunity to rewrite the world and rewrite our life and our story within that world. And I often heard that description, but it was always really hard for me to really truly believe that I was someone capable of doing that. Today's episode is with Jeremy Knopf. Jeremy Knopf is a fellow Marine, and we share a conversation that just goes in so many good different directions that I am positive that this episode, whether you are searching for a career, whether you're on the other side of transition, or whether you're maybe, like Jeremy, you might be actually afraid to be a dad. And that story is all in this episode of Military Veteran Dad. And so without further ado, let's just get going with Jeremy Knopf. And if you want my big takeaway from this episode, hang on to the other side. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Thanks for having me, Ben. This episode is going to be great. I know it's going to be great because you are not your average veteran. You do a lot of cool things that a lot of people know about, but not a lot of people think about. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself being the CEO of Spartan Media. So it's been kind of an interesting journey. I've been in the marketing world ever since I got out of the Marine Corps back in 1999. And I've had some ups and downs, made a lot of progress. I've lost everything a couple of times. And most most recently, I had a health crisis that almost killed me and spent about two years on my deathbed as a result of that. And then came back, rebuilt stronger than ever. And, and what we do today is based largely on the processes that I developed during that time where I figured out how to leverage social media and traditional media to become an authority within an industry. Um, And that was something that was essential for me at that time because in the marketing world, if you 
if you don't have current case studies, current examples of clients and work that you've done, you're basically no different than some random person on Fiverr. So I had to figure out a way to do that when I, when I had to bounce back from zero. Um, and that's what we do today is we basically get people featured in the media, help them become an authority in their industry. And that all came about because of my near-death experience. <laughs> oh my God. There were so many, so many parts of that that um, really changed my thinking and gave me a unique insight into things. So what I was going through at the time was I, I had this, this crazy intense pain from head to toe, from skin down to bone. It was like every cell of my body was being electrocuted and on fire at the same time. Um, up to that point, I had always believed that anyone who chose to take their life was doing so simply because they were weak. And this pain went on for a period of time. And eventually it got to the point where I started thinking about, not that I wanted to take my life, but I started thinking about how much easier that would be. That's an easy way to get out of this pain. So what That's was about that experience that made you start asking better questions? And like, those thoughts became so frequent like, There's just that be a better way. I disassembled all of the firearms in my house, tossed everything into a duffel bag. And I called a friend of mine and I said, look, we're not at a point where you have to be worried, but there may come a time when I ask you to come and pick these up and store them for a little bit. And right around that time, one of the toughest Marines that I ever served with took his life. And I took that as a sign, right? If, if somebody who never, never broke, never folded, never showed any weakness, can go through that, how many other people are, are facing those same thoughts? And I started reaching out to a lot of other veterans. I started sharing my thoughts. I shared what I was going through, the struggles I was facing to show them that you're not the only person thinking this. It, it, and it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're you know, not able to do what you need to do. These are all normal thoughts. Like when people go through severe trauma, when they go through massive changes, people have all kinds of different thoughts. And I think part of the problem we have been in the, in the veterans community, especially is we have this mindset that we have to be the one that does everything. We have to be the sole solution provider. We have to be the one that puts everything on our shoulders and, and carries it because that's what we're used to doing. And, and frankly, that's a bullshit mindset because that's part of the problem in the fact that we have uh, right now that I don't, I don't know if there's newer stats on it, but the last time I looked at the stats, we're losing about 22 veterans a day to suicide. So part of that is because people aren't asking for help. They're not reaching out. They're not saying, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Who can help me with this? Um, you know, we've got this ego where we're incapable of doing that for a variety of reasons. Part of it was, you know, how, how things were in the military. Part of it is just our mindset, right? Like we're the, the warrior mindset. We're, we're going to be the ones to protect people. So we don't ever want to ask for help. Um, so reframing that really had a profound impact on me, uh, both just purely for my own mental health, but also from, from what I was able to accomplish. Um, up to that point, I had always done a lot of things on my own. I didn't like to ask for help. I didn't want people to create opportunities for me. I wanted to be the one to create everything myself. And frankly, that was a stupid mindset. But as I started putting more energy into leveraging relationships, then I started to see things really change a lot. Um, I, I grew faster and bigger than I had in the 20 previous, 20 years previous to that. Um, so that's kind of, uh, I guess that's, that's, that's my answer to that question. I want to go to a specific moment and maybe not a moment, but a thought because the way you described that story completely contrasted a lot of the programming that the Marine Corps and the other branches give you. So what thought did you find that was like most contradicting to what the Marine Corps taught you about how life's supposed to work that you really had to fight the hardest against? 
That's a great question. And, I, you know, I guess just in you asking the question, it kind of highlights the irony of how things are in the Marine Corps um, or any of the services, really. I, I mean, I imagine to some degree the Army probably has similarities to uh, some of the stuff, how things are handled in the Marine Corps. But where I'm going with this is in the Marine Corps, I was a grunt. It was looked very unfavorably if you were to go to BAS. Like if your arm wasn't literally chopped off and sitting in your lap, you had no reason to be in BAS. You should be out there PTing or fielding or doing whatever dumb shit was going on in the Marine Corps that day, right? So that's I think that's part of the problem is we've created this culture and you know it's been there long before you and I. Um, and it will probably be there long after our grandkids are are born and passed and, you know, no longer. But um, it, it's this mindset that, like, you don't you don't take care of yourself. You don't do the things you have to do to make sure you're healthy. You just get out here and do the job and, and screw everything else, um, which is ironic when you consider, like, how do we how do we conduct combat? Well, you don't just have a guy run up to the enemy and kill everybody. Right. You're going to soften the target with air. You're going to hit them with artillery as you're coming up. You're going to fire mortars as you get closer. And then eventually the O311s and, and the machine gunners and, and you know all of the other close combat guys are getting up here and doing their job. So we can accept help in combat, but for some reason we can't accept help in taking care of ourselves, which to me is ludicrous. The way that you strive, I love the example you brought up about BAS because there were so many examples in Okinawa where you were just looked at as like, oh, you're just trying to skate out of work. You don't actually just want to do that. And you're just trying to find the easier way. And you just have people that would find reasons to go to BAS. And those people existed. But then that culture also prevented people from that had legitimate reasons to go to BAS. And even on a random other tangent, that not going to BAS for whatever happened to you that also just then creates VA problems because then there's no documentation to why you're broken on the other side of transition. And then you can't figure out why you can't get disability claims because you never felt safe going to BAS. But I want to highlight the, the idea that you, you have to do it alone and you have to like just put all of it on there on the line to get that mission accomplished because it is like in the field, that's not how we think. But in the rear, there is just like, this fear of being lazy and everybody has to just kind of like operate at this high level and anybody sliding down is lazy versus like, yeah, they're just trying to take care of themselves. And that little mindset shift there is ultimately what creates, I think what you hit nail on the head of why on the other side, you when you have these thoughts, you just have some NCO, some corporal yelling in your head saying, just suck it up. These aren't real. Just get through and, and hunker down and you can go there but that ultimately creates the the problem that we have today where veterans don't even admit they have a problem in their life. And then the next thing you know, they're gone. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the crazy thing about this all is if the Marine Corps or any of the branches really would invest the time and and train the the Marines to actually take care of themselves and to train command elements to allow the Marines to take care of themselves we wouldn't have not only would we not have you know the number of suicides that we have but the costs for va would be dramatically lower because we'd fix the problems or eliminate them like they wouldn't even happen because they would be taken care of along the way it wouldn't get to the point where it becomes a massive problem so we wouldn't have to be treating everybody with all kinds of medication and and having them sit waiting three months for a damn appointment at the va like it would it would just solve so many different problems in so many different ways you know, I'm on the outside, and you probably can attest to this, I've never had a doctor, I've never even heard someone prescribe Motrin and water in the entire time that I have left the Marine Corps. But that, and the idea of that joke is still just part of the problem, like, that we don't acknowledge that there is a problem. And the layer that you, you hit on the component inside the military, the part that also hits home for military dads is the military in the Marine Corps. There's, there's the horrible joke that if they wanted you to have a family, they would have issued one. And there's just not that acknowledgement that you have this outside life. And without that acknowledgement, you create this firewall almost between the Marine Corps and your family because they never, they don't want you to have one. So you have to try to figure out a way to be both. And then you get out 
and that firewall is never trained in how to come down and your armor always stays up. And then you wonder why you're, you feel like very insecure when you're on your family because you've had this wall up for so long to survive and you don't really know it's there. Well, and, and you touched on a really interesting point that we, we should dig a little bit deeper on. And that is, it's not just us, but if, if we're thinking this way, if we're operating from this mindset, you know, that has been hammered into us in the military, then we're also training our kids to have that same mindset. So by following down that same path, you're creating broken kids. So we have to fix it so that we can actually raise kids who take care of themselves so that they're healthy so that they can then raise healthy kids and, you know, continue on and on down that path. And I want to go, there's another angle that we went over, but I want to go back to it that within the Marine Corps and all the things that we get trained for and how we operate, there is a huge depth of life of, we, I mean, we accelerate faster on how to work with different people of different ethnics and different culture backgrounds and different populations and from the big cities, from the Midwest. That, that is a skill set that we often don't apply enough credit to and we often don't even acknowledge as a dad. And when we don't acknowledge that we have this family that we can help be a dad to and that they want us to be a dad and they want a connection, they want to know who we are, that we leave off one of the biggest, I mean, this is the reason why the podcast exists because military dads are some extraordinary human beings and we have a depth to the world that very few people can even touch. But we rarely share that gift in a way that to our kids that can help them and make them more stronger and more adverse adults because in the back in the, in the end, in the beginning in our head, well, this is just my life and it's something I have to keep on the inside and I can't really show anybody what I'm feeling whether it not be a life experience, whether it be a lesson that I learned in the Marine Corps that I want my kids to learn, we still have that that story going on. Like you talked, that story that said, like what happened in the Marine Corps isn't something that can carry me forward. I have to keep it on the inside and just hope I can contain it. Yeah, and you know that's that's a really interesting perspective. I, I think part of the problem is we have to realize we have to reframe how we look at this. Right, we look at it as as a weakness. I like to look at this from a different perspective, right? Like we have a mission in the Marine Corps. We had a particular mission out here in the civilian world. We have a different mission for me. Like every, it's going to be different for everyone. For me, my mission out here is multifaceted. It's to create a great life for my family. And by family, I, I don't just mean my wife and kids, but I mean everyone that I consider family. That includes, you know, the, the guys that I served with, uh, fellow veterans, uh, other people that I'm involved with in various business capacities, like that's to me, that's family. Um, so to create a better life for my family, to um, raise my kids so that they can contribute value into the world and to put massive value into the world in, in numerous ways. So in order to do that, you have to be in your optimal state. All right. So the same way that in the Marine Corps, we're going to constantly go out and, and PT and hump and, and shoot and do all the things we have to do for that mission. Well, out here, there's certain things we have to do for this mission. And that includes taking care of ourselves. And the side benefit to this is by doing this, by talking about it, we're also showing the other veterans who haven't yet realized this. They haven't quite put the pieces together um, that this is an essential part of your new mission. And I think by reframing it that way, it really changes the perspective of people. And I think probably that was missed on a lot of veterans when Chris Kyle had the movie made about his story. And at the end, he realized that the best way to come home and actually support the people still down range is to support the people that came home, but yet mentally haven't come home. And that's the mission of this podcast and why it exists, because many dads come home physically, but we don't make that transition emotionally. And what I've learned with my story and the reason why this podcast exists, again, is to be able to share a raw thought, share something vulnerable, and give permission, hopefully, to other dads out there that are still struggling. And like, it's, I wish the military would even just hint and talk about it, because I don't even think they use it in language, of vulnerability, because that vulnerability, to me, early on, the programming was, if you speak something vulnerable that might like actual, like change how people see you, you're going to have like purple anxiety all over the wall because you're going to explode spontaneously. 
And the opposite is true. Like you become magnetic. Like people actually come closer to you. They look up to you more. They actually connect with you on a deeper level when you were vulnerable. But none of that comes through within any of the process that I went through. And none of the information or the different things that I went through as well. It took just the raw falling down and learning how to come back up of how your story can move mountains for people. And I can imagine that your story has done the same thing for when you rose back up to the top of what you were able to do and how your story is moving mountains as well. Yeah. So a couple of things I want to unpack on that. So you, you talked about vulnerability and uh, for me, I feel like the key there is understanding how to properly use it. Right. Most people, when they talk about vulnerability, um, they just think that it's, you know, you sitting up here talking about how weak and terrible you are. And that's not that, as you know, that's not at all what it is. Right. Um, it is like you find, you find the weaknesses in you, you find what things you're doing wrong and you figure out who can help you kind of shore up your weaknesses, um, who can help solve the problems that you don't have the answers to. And like it, it actually takes a bigger man to do that. That, that vulnerability requires more strength, more courage than just sitting around trying to do it yourself. So um, when we look at it from that perspective, I think that changes how, how we see it. It's not this, it's not this weakness. It's actually a strength. Um, you know, there's some people that I've, I've reached out to. We've all got weaknesses. We've all got our, our things that we're great at and we've got the things that we're terrible at. Uh, and then we've got things that we're just kind of okay at. Um, but if you really want to get to that next level and you want to be some massively valuable force in the world, you're going to have to get outside your comfort zone and do that. The key is finding people who have the answers and people that you trust. And that's where you can kind of practice your vulnerability in a, I detest the word, but in a safe space. You know, I've never had this thought. So you've just gifted me this very beautiful story in my head. You essentially just described the Marine Corps in this weird way, because the Marine Corps, when it goes trains with foreign nations, it's displaying its vulnerabilities. A infantry force that's training to attack a building, they know their weaknesses. They're not good at blowing things up, but they're good at clearing a room. And so they ultimately rely on other people. They cross train with different groups within the military to learn different skill sets. It's almost like I almost got goosebumps when you tell the story in the way you did, because it is essentially what the Marine Corps does. It exposes its vulnerabilities. It recognizes that growth happens in being uncomfortable. So it's always pushing the limits. I mean, the Marine Corps is always redefining itself of what it's capable of and what kind of force it wants to be. It's never really stuck stationary in one idea. I mean, every combat comes in is going to reinvent the Marine Corps. And but yet the same idea doesn't apply to us as an individual. And it's almost now I'm like the dichotomy of it is really perplexing because it is the, how the Marine Corps is built. But yet we actually never teach people that this is actually the same process for life that makes the Marine Corps such an elite fighting force that can also make you an elite fighting force as well on the other side, because whatever you stink at, you just need to know someone that can solve it. And that's what the Marine Corps does. The Marine Corps is not good at everything. It knows it's not good at everything. And if you look at an after action report, that's exactly what that is. It's an exercise in vulnerability. It's what did we do wrong? How can we do it better the next time? I've never had that thought before. Like when you described it, it was beautiful. I was like, that's the Marine Corps. And yet the Marine Corps is one of the ones that are the worst portrayers of this from my perspective, because because we're always so hard on everybody and we're trying to be perfect. Like the perfectionism that comes from Marine Corps is also the part that holds it back when you get outside because you try to live up to that standard and you realize it's not a standard, it's a way of being. And, but that is also where we, we trip up. So let's go into a different category. Where did you, when did you start having a family? My wife and I got together. Uh, we ended up hitting it off really quickly, uh, had a kid really quickly after that. And, you know, then it all just kind of flowed from there. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's, that's the answer to that question. So you got out in 1999, right then? Yes. So you had I some did. time uh -huh. between getting out of the military before starting your family. I did. I, uh, I got out in 99. We met, God, I want to say it was probably around 2008, 2007, somewhere around there. Um, so in between there, I had all that time to 
you know, build my business, figure out who I was, do all the, do all the things that you do as a, as a young single man. And then, uh, we had our, our first born son shortly after we got together and, um, it's been a completely life-changing experience for me. Prior to that, I was I always believed that I didn't want kids. I was going to ask you, was, was fatherhood something you were yeah. avoiding or was it something you were just waiting for the right season? Consciously avoiding it. Um, but then when it happened, it, it was a thing I would just, I would not trade for the world. Um, and, and to put it in context, like here's how crazy it was. I... I didn't want kids so much so that I had never even held a child. So when we were in the hospital and Preston was born, I remember they had taken him and they, they wrapped him up or no, he wasn't wrapped up yet, but he was in the, that little warming tray that they put the kids in, uh, in there with the room with us. And I walked over there and I'm kind of standing there looking at him and he's got the little, you know, like McDonald's heat lamps over him and all that. And, uh, I'm watching him. And the nurse says to me, you can touch him. And I just kind of like reached down and poked him in his belly. And she's like, well, no, like, I mean, you can pick him up. <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea how to do that. Why don't you just pick him up and hand him to me and, and we'll go from there. That must be. Like, so I had, it, it, it was, but um, probably even harder you know, asking for help because of what the Marine Corps taught you about asking for help. <laughs> It was it was interesting, but um, I I picked it up pretty much immediately. Um, and I never put and him down. I was no, yeah, he was he was my little buddy, and you know I I, I remember I was always the one carrying him. Uh, I can't tell you how many times we'd be in the mall. This was back obviously well before COVID. Um, we'd be in the mall, and I'd be carrying him around, feeding him with a bottle, and uh, you know all the girls would just ooh and ah, you know, look at this dad taking care of the baby and and all this. Um, but yeah, I, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's, it's not what I at the time wanted, but it's absolutely an amazing experience. And, uh, you know, I, I feel completely blessed. What story died in that moment that you used to tell yourself about not being, wanting to be a dad that changed and that you realized you want to be a dad? I mean, I would say basically just that it was, I, I thought that I didn't want kids, what well, was there a belief like that saying that like you didn't want to be a dad because you didn't want to mess up that you were afraid to yeah. kind of just break I mean, them? I don't know that it was afraid. I just, I, I did grow up in a very, we'll say difficult, um, environment when I was a kid. Um, it was, it was bad in a lot of ways and, and there's, you know, there's no hard feelings about it. There's no animosity. It just, it, it was what it was, but I didn't want kids as a result. Um, was that one of the but, reasons you joined the Marine Corps was to find change? Um, I don't know if that was one of the reasons. I mean, there's a million directions I could have gone if I was just looking for change. I think it was more, it was more about doing something bigger than myself, doing something incredibly challenging, um, you know, doing something that other people could not do, uh, more so than than trying to get away from something. If there's a dad out there listening that maybe didn't lean in to when the nurse said you can hold them, but still struggles to find that connection, what advice would you give to that dad? So I would say, um, you know, it's it's not a thing that you're going to change overnight. Um, look at it like any other significant mission. You're going to have to put in time, and you're going to have to put in more time than the average father would because you weren't around. So there's already some, there's already some thoughts in their head as to who you are as a dad because you weren't around, right? Because you weren't around, because you weren't involved and engaged. So before you can even start building that relationship, you're going to have to overcome those thoughts. You're going to have to change their mind. And that comes from both your actions, but also from your consistency, because you're going to have to do this for a while before they're going to believe that you're going to stick around. So be prepared to not only do what has to be done, but do so consistently, probably for a hell of a lot longer than you, than you expect it to be. So becoming a dad pretty much changes your life instantly. Cause you pretty much have your heartbeat beating outside your body. And eventually it starts running into walls. 
and you're like, yeah. how can this happen? Like, I, I want this child to be safe, but it keeps hurting itself. <laughs> like, how do I stop it from doing this? As your kids are older now and you went from where you didn't want to have kids, you stepped into it, you've leaned into it. Was there like a big life lesson that your kids have been able to bring to you that maybe you wouldn't have been able to get any other way? Um, yeah, none of us know what the hell we're doing. We're all, we're all making this shit up as we go. Yes. Um, I certainly did a lot of things a lot different and a lot better than I had when I was growing up. But the reality is I still, I still could do a hundred, a thousand times better. And we all could. Um, so knowing that we can always do better is important, right? Like a lot of parents fall into this trap of thinking, well, I know what to do. I'm the parent, blah, blah, blah. That's what they say outwardly, right? Inside, we all know that we're all sitting here thinking, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. I'm just figuring this out as I go. But they outwardly project that they have all the answers. And then when something goes wrong and it's clear that they don't have all the answers, then it creates this weird rift in the relationship. So that's one side of it. The other side is you have to understand, you know, who your kids really are. You have to be able to communicate with them and, and like, there's not a one size fits all answer. So you have to figure out what's right for them and you have to figure out how to communicate with them and how to kind of guide them. Right. Cause we're not, or rather we shouldn't be this, uh, authoritarian kind of, uh, parent where we're just barking out orders. Like we have to actually mold them and in molding them, we're also helping them to grow and become better people. Right. So if we're actually having conversations with them while we're trying to guide them, not just, Hey, do this because I said, but it's maybe we ask them questions and guide them to the outcome that we're looking for instead of telling them, Hey, do this end result. Um, I think that that gives them a lot more insight and helps them learn things. Um, I, I like to bring my kids out to business events all the time. I remember an event I held here in Tampa a while back before COVID where we had, I don't know, I think it was, I don't remember how many people it was, but it was, it was pretty much all of the top business leaders in the Tampa Bay area. And I remember I had my kids walking around independently, not with me, not with each other. They were just walking around, meeting other people, introducing themselves to these other people, you know, collecting business cards, talking to them, learning about them. And I, I think my son was maybe, maybe eight, nine at the time. Uh, my daughter was four years before that. And here they are, they're learning how to interact with people because of this guidance. It's not me telling them what to do. It's me putting them into an environment and letting them kind of figure out the path. So, uh, you know, a lot of these learning experiences, parents tend to overlook, they, 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 put them straight to the end result. It's, hey, here, do this thing because I said this, rather than letting them learn and grow along the way. I love what you said there about just taking them to those business events because I've often said, if the Marine Corps would have put me into a conference room and told me that I needed to sell something and get 10 yeses and go through the 100 no's, that skill of rejection, that skill of striking up a conversation without worrying what they're thinking about me, we're just striking up that conversation and, and just being rejected and then doing it again and then doing it again. Like being a Kirby sales, vacuum and salesman, like that skill would have been so much more valuable on the other side because what they don't teach you on the way out and that you've learned and your kids are now learning is conversations is how you create opportunities. And if you don't understand that if you have to be able to talk to people and go into new places to meet new people, it's going to severely limit your opportunity. And I often say, if the if the Marine Corps would have told me this one thing, I would have shortcutted 10 years of my learning that the amount of opportunity you have on the other side is directly proportional to the amount of new people you talk to daily. And that would have just completely, because almost all the for 10 years after getting out, I felt like I had one or two opportunities at the time and neither of them looked very good. And I never had a good process to create new opportunities. I felt like, man, I'm just beating my head against the wall here. And I don't see any new opportunities coming up. Like, what am I doing wrong? And then it wasn't until later that I learned, wow, I need to actually talk to people. And that's how you create this mutual conversation. And then you get access to networks like you've learned in the media. 
I'm sure you still meet people that open up a door and you're like, this whole room was existing this entire time and I never even knew this whole world existed. That happens regularly when you do that. And your kids having that such a young age, like that will just fuel that it's, they're going to have a very wide view of the American dream that I call it because most people have a one track American dream and it usually ends up look, dressed up like hell. <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned Kirby. Did you actually sell Kirby vacuums? No, I didn't. I've just heard oh. that as a, like okay. going door to door and being getting the door shut in your face and then going the next door and sh shutting your door in my face. Because even I heard recently I was looking at becoming an Edward Jones financial advisor before COVID. They actually send you to St. Louis for training to go door to door and to potentially get new clients as an Edward Jones financial consultant. And that is still prior to COVID was an active solution that they had for their teams to get new clients within their business. And it scared me when they talked about it, but then it also kind of excited because then I was like, well, this is kind of like my opportunity to really get rejected a lot and get used to it and then just keep going because that was never a feeling that I had or a muscle that was really strong. But man, does that muscle serve you later on when you can just like their no doesn't reflect you. It just reflects where they're at in life. And it's perfectly fine. They said no. It doesn't mean you're not a good human being. It just means it's a no. Move on to the next one. Yeah. And I think that's something that all of us, not just kids, but but adults especially, um, we don't do that enough. We don't go into situations where we could get a no or where we, where we could fail. And I, I think we all have to be brave enough to suck at something. Like if you're going to be doing new things, bigger things, you're going to suck at it at first. And you have to be comfortable doing that. And we have to teach our kids that they have to be comfortable with that. Um, you know, this is a recurring conversation that comes up with my kids. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're young, you know, he's, he's 12, she's eight right now. And, uh, you know, unsurprisingly at that age, they're still very, very focused on comfort. And one of the things I've tried to hammer into their heads is like, whatever your mission is, like that has to be what you're focused on for them right now. That should be things like school and keeping your room clean and, you know, behaving things like that. If you're going to put your comfort over your, over your goals, you're not going to achieve your goals. So that's one of the conversations we have a lot because, you know, the, the health crisis that I faced eight, seven, eight years ago, um, I'm not on my deathbed anymore, but I'm still fighting through this stuff. So I still have these levels of pain. And so when I have these conversations with the kids, this is one of the things that comes up. It's like, look, I don't feel like doing what I'm doing sometimes either, but what I'm doing is more important than how I feel. So I, I push through that and they, they see it. I don't think they quite have latched onto the concept in the way that I would like them to, but by them seeing it. And again, this touches back to the whole vulnerability thing, right? Like I'm talking to the kids about, Hey, I feel like crap. I literally feel like I want to die right now, but I'm still up here doing this. So now you're, you're doing two things. You're, you're, being vulnerable and you're also showing the importance of of the mission i want to ask did you struggle with that rejection in your marine corps transition or was that something that was already kind of strength and you didn't have to kind of fight that initial like i wonder what they're going to think of me if they say no oh no we all we all we all deal with that i i don't think anybody doesn't have that challenge unless they're like a sociopath or something um I think, I think we all deal with that, but the people who tend to do the best are the ones who get out of that comfort zone and, and do things that help them to see that that doesn't really matter. Um, one of the first jobs that I got after the Marine Corps was at a software company where they sold, God, this was, this was back in 1999, um, they sold this specialized software that was used for training for like network engineers. So it would basically simulate a, a, a windows network or a Cisco network or not Cisco, uh, Novell. Um, and so you could go in here and do all the things you would do on a computer network without having to worry about actually breaking a real computer network and shutting the company down. So, what I loved about this company was they had this intense training program. And then we had this kind of like boiler room style, uh, sales room. 
and you would just be out here on the phones all day calling people trying to sell them this this uh, training software so if there's any single way to get over your fear of rejection it's by picking up that damn phone and dialing you know 50 100 people a day you're going to get people telling you no you're going to get people telling you a lot more colorful things as well and it that going through that process enables you to get over that fear and get over that emotional impact that that brings and i can imagine that skill serves you tenfold in the media world because it's all about like you're putting it a hundred times out there and you're probably gonna get two to three yeses but that's part of the process the irony probably still hits you in the face every day you're just like man so long ago this was just like me training for these moments of what i do now yeah absolutely and, and I mean, looking back historically like everything that has led up to this to where i am today has there's been a, a an aspect of rejection right so i remember at one point, I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was this ad agency that I wanted to work at and they put out a, a job listing back in the newspaper. That's how long ago this was. And it sat on my desk at my house for a week or two. And I just, I, I just wasn't going to go because they wanted a college degree. They wanted a certain amount of experience. I had neither of those. And then eventually, uh, a girl that I was seeing at the time said, well, you know, why don't you just go ahead and do it? Just go, you know, call them, see if you can get an interview. Like, what's the worst they're going to say? No. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So I called them up and the owner, uh, a guy named David Kretschmar, says, well, look, we've been interviewing for a couple of weeks. Uh, we've pretty much got it narrowed down to two people. Uh, and they both have degrees. One of them has a uh, a." a Oh, now I'm forgetting now a bachelor's degree. And the other one has a master's in fine arts. And they both had been uh, over five years. One of them, I think, was 10 years in, in the advertising industry. He's like, so it's really narrowed down to one of those two. But if you want to come down and interview, you know, I, I've got a few minutes before I leave. I'll, I'll stick around. I was like, all right, well, let's do it. So I rolled down there and I walked in. Now, mind you, I had no experience in the industry. I had no college degree. I, mean, I had dropped out of high school to go into the Marine Corps early. So I had no formal qualifications. I went down there basically knowing that I was going to get rejected. We sat down. We looked over the work that I had done. I had created all these you know, advertisements and, and various layouts and logos and all kinds of design things, but just on my own time. And just on my own knowledge, right? Like I had just taught myself this stuff. And so as we're talking, he's asking me various questions and, and trying to kind of figure out my thought process on why I did things certain ways and, and why they were, why, why is it laid out this way? Why is this here? Why is that there? And at the end of the interview, I'm thinking that he's going to say, well, you know, I, I like this, but we're going to hire one of these two other people, blah, blah, blah. He says to me, I want to tell you that your understanding of how this all works is more in depth than somebody with an MFA masters in fine arts. He's like, like you've taught yourself this, like that shows me a lot of potential. So, uh, I want to offer you the job instead. So I went out there and I pushed through the potential rejection and like, that was the outcome. And I've had a few situations like that where Everything seemed like the answer would be no. Like I was not going to get what I wanted, but I went and did it anyway. And the outcome ended up being dramatically different than anyone expected. I love that story. That story is one that every person needs to hear because it just understands that like there's rules and processes in place to make the world seem like it's rigged against you. But then you hear stories like that where just a little bit of grit and squeezing through the door and putting your foot in the door before it's closed essentially gets you that hello. And you actually uh, highlighted some of my advice that I always give that you're always one conversation away from changing your life and it's right on the other side of hello. And you'll never know what's on the other side of hello and you'll miss 100% of those shots you don't take. And that is essentially proven proof positive there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just we, we need to let go of the fear Instead of thinking like, you know, what could go wrong, think of what could go right. 
Ooh, I like that. That's a lot. So what is Spartan Media up to today? What kind of clients do you work with and what is kind of work that you do now? So we uh, technically we're still a full service agency, just like we've always been. But what we've been focusing on a lot lately is taking people and transforming them into the authority in their industry. Um, this was something like I mentioned in the beginning that we kind of developed from the process. I figured out along the way when I had to come back from my deathbed to, to getting back on top. Um, but it was something I realized that we've been doing from day one. Um, a good example of that was we had a client that at one point he ran a different company. I ran my company, he ran a company and we both served a particular client together. And, um, he, he sold his company and went to work for that client. And right around the time that happened, everything went to hell with that client. And he had to, the founder of the company had to step down. He had to step up, but he had no contacts in the industry. He was nobody, nobody had ever heard of him. And he had no experience in the industry. What we ended up doing over the course of the next year or so, as a result of all the things we were doing with SEO and social media and, and uh, PR, right before COVID, the summer before COVID, he and I were actually in DC. He was sitting down with senators and congressmen lobbying them on behalf of his industry. So I look back at things like that. So like we take people who are great at what they do, they're knowledgeable, but they're not recognized as the authority. And we turn them into the authority so that not only can they make more money, but also they'll get more opportunities coming to them. Uh, media tends to reach out to them uh, to feature them, et cetera. Um, that's what we're doing today. We get them featured in the media and, and leveraging a lot of the other uh, skill sets that we have to turn them into an authority. Well, that sounds like you're really making an impact with a lot of great people that are have good stories and helping them understand how to move mountains. And what I've, I learned when I've, I visited DC two times before the world closed down last year. And in both of those times, I realized that the words around Washington DC are just words. And really the only difference <laughs> that they had was they crafted their words in a way that made a big impact. And what you're doing is helping people take their words and they, what they've crafted and help make and move mountains and be able to do what those people had have their words cemented in stone down in DC. Like the only difference between them and us is they found a craft for their words and they found a platform to spread it. Absolutely. And I think that like, we all owe that to ourselves. If, if you believe in what you're doing, why not get out there and be the best at it and be recognized for that? Because then that's going to give you the ability to do more of it, right? Like if you're awesome at whatever it is you do, if you have the opportunity to serve more people, you're going to have exponentially more impact. So I think it's really important that we do get out there and, and, you know, get our message out there in that way. I love that. Well, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. One final question for you today. What is a final piece of dad advice you want to make sure every dad out there listens to and hears within their heart? I would say probably to remember that everyone is going through something uh, to include your kids. And try to keep that in mind when you're interacting with them, right? A lot of times we see cases where parents are, are really harsh on their kids. You know, maybe they had a temper tantrum or maybe they did something bad, whatever the case is. They don't give, they don't give space for them to kind of have a bad day, right? Like we all know we have a bad day, things go wrong, and, and we tend to be assholes when that happens. But we don't give our kids that same grace. So... I think it's really important that we understand that sometimes they're going to have a bad day. Sometimes they're going to lash out and we just have to take that in stride and, you know, continue helping them to grow without expecting to hold them to uh, a, an unrealistic standard. I love that. And I always say I'm 36 trying to figure out life, just like my daughter is nine trying to figure out life. And we have no right to judge them for not being able to figure it out because then we have to judge ourselves for not being able to figure out adulting at whatever age you are. <laughs> and whether you lost your job at 36 or whether they had an issue on the playground into their mind, it's just as real. And when you remove that ability for them to think it's real, all you do is kind of build up that emotional suppression that they, whatever they're feeling isn't something they can let themselves feel. And it's not real. And you just create essentially future clients for therapists to unpack what they suppressed when they were a kid 
But just letting them feel and what's going on in their life and being there, that's the most important part of fatherhood. I love that advice. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Jeremy, like I said, I am so glad that this interview happened. And I know this episode is going to bring many dads home. So thank you very much for sharing your time with us today. I'm Military Veteran Dad. It's my pleasure. Boom. That was a great episode with Jeremy Knopf. I hope that that last story about how he ended up getting a job that essentially opened up this entire new world for him and opened up the door to where he is today with his life. I hope that story resonated deeply because when I heard it, it resonated deeply for me for so many missed opportunities where I didn't give myself permission to be bold, to go out there, break a few things, and not really care because what we don't really realize is we think the world is noticing us and the world is going to judge and all these different things that we're going to be able to do. But the world isn't really busy because everybody else is busy about doing the same thing and having that exact same thought. So go out there, do what you need to do and break down a few doors and try to put your foot in the door. I mean, that was literally an example of the door was almost closed and he put his foot in the door to try to prevent it from being closed. And it ended up being a game changing experience for him and his life going forward. That is my big takeaway of making sure that you recognize when you get a green light, when you get those moments where you need to hunger down, go faster, not slower in life, and realize this is an opportunity and a moment that could open up an entire new doorway. There are so many missed opportunities in my life from my time when I got out in 2007, right up until even last year. There are so many missed opportunities where I, the you didn't take the action that I needed. And the universe was knocking and calling, but I was letting it go to voicemail. So I want to remind you, when the universe calls, what are you going to do? Are you going to let it go to voicemail or are you going to pick up the phone and see where this opportunity can get you? And remember, I repeat this often, you are always one hello from changing your life and you will miss 100% of those shots you don't take. Make sure that you're taking the shots that you want in life because that one hello could be the one thing that changes everything. I hope you have an amazing week. I hope like as the intention for this episode, this gives you the intention and the focus to go forward in this week and do big things to help move your life forward. And more importantly, be a better dad. And as a reminder, make sure you go check out the Blue Star Family survey that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, militaryveterandad.com forward slash blue star survey. And again, there is a link for that in the show notes as well. With that, signing off. Have a great week. We'll talk on Friday.